we're going to start by reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, we're going to read verses 28 to 34. I'll read those for you. But let's stand together as I read. Can we do that? Mark 12, 28 to 34. At the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Then I'll say something like, you can take a seat. I'm going to try to shake it up today if I can. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. and He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth by saying, that there is only one God and no other, and I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I love that part. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. How's that? I Don't you just love that last part? It's like, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. My parents are getting a little bit older. Um, They will be listening to this sermon online. They like to do that and tell me what a great preacher I am. No one else does. No, you, some of you do, but my parents, my parents, I can trust that they'll be there for me. Um, so I'm, I'm wanting to be very appropriate and sensitive in how I share this story, but they're, they're getting older, and, they're, and as my sister, who's here and part of our church knows and our family, that, that they're beginning to try to downsize a little bit. Living at home, they're trying to downsize. They know that they know that they're not going to live in this house forever, they know that other days are coming that they will someday move into a smaller place, another house, or to a retirement facility, or as my dad likes to say, it, they will come to their demise. I know it's such a weird way of saying that, but um, so, so they're, trying to, they're trying to kind of downsize, and, and you, if you've been in this position as one, like downsizing or being the recipient of the downsizing, they're, they're pretty much convinced that our families need everything that they don't want anymore. <laughs> and all the stuff that's up in the rafters and in the shelves and the cupboards, and it, it needs to find its way to our rafters and our shelves and our cupboards. And, and, and whatever that is, maybe it's, uh, you know, for my, my, um, my, my mom, it's a, it's, a, it's a silver punch bowl. And... Uh, she, pretty much sure that we needed to have that silver punch bowl. And when Kyla mentioned that she might use it as like a flower pot, that, that didn't go over well. And so 
Uh, my dad has lots of books and papers. He's a, he's a retired pastor and lots of resources that he's sure that I need to have for the days in ministry to come. And undoubtedly, there are many treasures there, but it's just, a, it's just, it's just overwhelming. And, and so I've been thinking that, you know, well, actually, I was with my mom this week, and I just said to her, I was talking to her about this, this uh, in, in a couple of weeks, Kyla and our daughter Katie, they're going to go and stay at their house, and my mom and dad are going to be gone, actually, during that time. And my mom said, well, here's the key, going to need to have the key, and uh, the alarm will be set, and so they'll need to know how to come in and turn off the alarm. And I, I sort of wondered aloud, I said, well, mom, what if we just left the alarm off? And what if we just actually opened up the doors? And maybe we passed out flyers in the neighborhood announcing that you were going to be gone and that everything was free to the taking. Maybe then we would be able to get rid of a few of these things. I wondered that, again, aloud. That would have been a great thing to wonder inside my head. I often do that, even while I'm speaking in front of you. Um, but uh, that didn't go over so well. I, I begin to think, what, what are the things that, or, or what is the thing that, if, if you could, mom and dad, if, if, if there's just one thing that, that we could keep, that would be the most important thing. What, what would it be? Like if, if your house was on fire, mom and dad, and you were going to grab one or maybe two things, what would those things be? We would love to hold on to those things, even if it's a silver punch bowl that will be used as a flower pot when you no longer know what it's being used for. Um, <laughs> what are those things? And we would gladly hold on to those things. We would gladly put those up in the rafters for as long as they need to be or put them out. We would gladly hold on to it. What is the we can't take it all, Mom and Dad, as you're listening to this in days to come. But we would love to take one or two things, maybe. What, what is the most important thing? This is essentially the question that the scribe was asking Jesus. It was a, it was a big question in that day. There were, there were, listen, there were 613 commandments in the, in the Jewish law, in, in the Torah, and and beyond that, there were many more subsets of laws underneath that. And, and the number of legal regulations were just beyond the capacity of people to know, much less follow. And so it was, a, it was an important question in the time, in the era of these religious leaders. Well, what is the most important question? What is the most important law? Jesus, as we have noticed, if you've been paying attention in our series, is no longer walking with his disciples on the way to Jerusalem. In chapter 12, he's jumped to being in Jerusalem, and now he's among the religious leaders. He's in the temple, and he's being questioned, and he's been questioned for a couple of chapters now, and they've been asking him all sorts of questions, the religious leaders and, and scribes, and they've been trying, most of them, to trap him, and most of them to, to try to get him to say some things that would lead to his arrest and to his prosecution and potentially even to his demise. They're threatened by him. And yet this one scribe, it appears, is, is caught by the way that Jesus answers questions. 
And he doesn't now want to trap him as much as he's just been amazed and impressed by the way that Jesus has answered the questions that he's been asked. He's, he's not put back by them. He's, he's not caught off guard by these questions. He is he's on another level. And so he asks him there again in those words, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, he says, Is it of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of all the commandments, what's the most important? And did you notice, usually if I were to get a question like that, and I get questions like this from people in our congregation from time to time. Uh, in fact, a young boy asked me a few weeks ago about Jesus and uh, the fig tree. Just look that one up. And I had to respond to him, you know what, let me do some little bit of research and get back to you on that. And, uh, and I often am faced with questions that, that prompt me to give that response. That is a great question. Let me get back to you on that. It seemed like if there was ever a question that Jesus was asked, this might have been one of them. What is the most important commandment? I wouldn't have been put off if Jesus would have said, that's a really good question. There's 613 of them, as you know. Let me do a little research and get back to you. But Jesus didn't hesitate. And, and, and he didn't, at the same time, he doesn't kind of come back with just one idea. He pieces together words from Deuteronomy, words from Leviticus. He pieces together concepts from the Ten Commandments. He, he pieces together different ways that, that the law has been spoken of, and he comes back with this idea that there is, there is one. Listen, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. This is it. This is, if we were to boil it all down, Jesus seems to be saying, this is what is most important. If you can hold on to these, if you can grasp these, then this is what all you need. It's a life that is centered on a love for God, on our worship of God. A life that is centered on praise and worship, lives that are made in God's, images, in God's image that find their greatest meaning and purpose as we learn to love and worship the one who we are designed to reflect. Lives that are centered in love for God. And Jesus says, there will be no half measures. He doesn't say with some of who you are. He says with all of who you are. And in Mark's version, he adds the mind. It's not just the heart and the soul and the strength, but it's the mind. All that we have and all that we are is to be poured out gladly in worship and love of the one true God. The psalm from the lectionary today is Psalm 146. And it seems like Psalm 146 gives us a little bit of a picture of what this life of worship is to look like. I think we have that on the screen. Darren, is that, is that there? Yeah. Let's read this together, can we? Praise the Lord. 
Let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. This is a life that is centered on love for God. Let all that I am, the psalmist says, praise the Lord. Let all that I am. But as we notice, Jesus doesn't stop there. There's, there's not like two parts to this, but it's like one and one A, and the scribe hadn't necessarily asked him for his second commandment as well, but it seems like these two are so tied together for the mission of Jesus that he can't help but express them as one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no separating the two for Jesus. This love and worship of God, in other words, is to have some tangible, earthy expressions as we demonstrate love and care for the people around us whom God has made. Love and care with great diligence and perseverance and compassion. I was looking at the, the Old Testament passage for this week's readings and, and was struck by how the, the portion of Scripture that was prescribed for the readings that, that we haven't read but, but are prescribed this, for this day give a beautiful demonstration of what it looks like to love others around us. It's the story of Naomi from the book of Ruth. Some of you are familiar with the story in the book of Ruth of Naomi, someone who had, who had moved from her land to a foreign land, her and her husband and their sons, and, and while they were there, her sons had married foreign wives, but in the process, her husband, Naomi's husband, had died and her two sons had died as well, so it was just her and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah and Ruth. And when things started looking better back in the homeland, Naomi decided to go back to where her home was and invited her daughters-in-law to come along. But as they were going, she began to realize, what am I doing? You are from here. You should stay here. I will never be able to bear more sons for you to marry. If you go back with me, you will have no home, no husband, no children, no future. Stay here. Go back to your families. And Orpah gives Naomi a big kiss and a hug and says, I'm going to miss you. Thank you so much. I love you. And I'm going back. And the Bible says that Ruth gave Naomi a big hug and she wouldn't let go. <laughs> it says that she clung to Naomi. And then she says these words there in Ruth chapter 1. She said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. 
And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. What a powerful, tangible demonstration of what Jesus had been talking about. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think very many of us take our neighborly love to this extent. (laughs) This is what Jesus was talking about, a love that was not only surface level, was not only to be lived out just going through the motions, but was something to be deeply felt, to be determined, to be disciplined, to be compassionate, as we would share the love of God with those around us. The psalm writer, let all that I am praise the Lord. Ruth, let nothing separate us. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. I was thinking this week about what this looks like in the world in which we live. Today we, um, today's special day for lots of reasons. It's my nephew's birthday. Happy birthday, Dane. 18. That's a big day. It's also, I know, some of you are like, 18? Come on. It's somebody else's birthday probably here who doesn't happen to be my nephew, but happy birthday to you as well, if that's the case. Um, Today is also the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And it's a day when we, in our local setting, remember the reality that there are believers in our own land and in lands around the globe who are not free to worship God and to serve Him and to share about Him in the ways that we are able to in our own homeland. And we remember today and we pray for those who are in these places And we give thanks to God for the many, many thousands of people who have literally, and I know that's just like people say that all the time, literally. No, this literally have given their lives, have, have died, have been martyred for the sake of the gospel. Those martyrs whose suffering has in so many cases become the seed of the church in the context in which they suffered. This is, this is like a documented thing that you can talk to missionary, mission experts about where there's, been, where there's been persecution and when there's been martyrdom often is the case, more than just coincidental, where in those very places the, the church has sprouted up in days to come, where, where the, the blood of the martyrs has become the seed of, of the church. Whenever I... Think about those in the persecuted church. Whenever I'm on this day, I always think about one man that our team met when a group of us from our church went to Ethiopia several years ago, and we, we took some Jesus film equipment to Ethiopia. And while we were there, we met a uh, Somalian refugee in, it was in Ethiopia, and his nickname was Blackie. I'm not kidding. That was it. And he was very black. And he was from Somalia, and that was his nickname. He had another, his real name was one that was hard to pronounce or one that had some other negative associations, as I recall. So he just went with Blackie. But I'll never forget him because he was so anxious to go back to Somalia. 
And if you remember, we don't hear a whole lot about Somalia, surprisingly, anymore, but it hasn't gotten a whole lot better than what it was 10 years ago or so. And he was so anxious to go back to Somalia and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the Somali people. But because his life was in danger, the Church of the Nazarene actually had strongly urged him to stay in Ethiopia at least for a while until things cooled down a little bit. So while we were in Ethiopia, he was in Ethiopia, and he was spending a lot of time in the Somali refugee areas. In fact, he introduced us to a a soccer team of Somali youth that he had sort of sponsored and was encouraging and wasn't really telling them that he was a Christian yet, but, but was trying to come alongside them and work among them, and we got to play soccer, and it was a wonderful time, but Blackie was just just waiting. And I, and I heard a few years later that he got to go back to Somalia, and one of the missionaries who I got to talk with about Blackie told me that, that it was an adventure from the moment he landed in the country, that he was literally being chased, literally, there it is again, and he was hiding, and he was running from place to place. To, to make the contacts that he wanted to make before he was able to get out of the country again to his safety. Now, I haven't heard anything about Blackie for a few years now, but he's one that is in my heart and mind today as we pray for the persecuted church. Blackie is one who loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there are others today who were reminded this week that, that, again, the Church of the Nazarene is in about 160 world areas. And some of them are what you've heard us refer to as creative access areas. And basically that just means that we have missionaries in places where they can't be announced as missionaries. And if they were to be announced in such a way, they would either be kind of kicked out of the country or worse. And those that they are working with in that land would be in big trouble as well. These are some that are setting the the example. They're setting the bar high, my friends, of what it looks like to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. Today it's not only the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, but it's also a Sunday in which we celebrate with Christians all around the world, All Saints Day. And uh, All Saints Day is actually on November 1, but it's celebrated often on the first Sunday in November. And All Saints Day, you have a little blurb about it, I think, in your worship folder, but it's a day when we celebrate those those ones, those set-apart ones of God who have come before us and who have demonstrated what it looks like to live such a beautiful expression of a life with God. And it's a day when we can celebrate the saints who are among us. Like, you know that? You know we rub shoulders with saints still today? In fact, I was with some this week. On Monday, I went to a meeting. I've been asked to be on a, what's known as a recovery team for a a pastor in our district who got into some trouble, did some things that he shouldn't have done, and had to surrender his credentials. But instead of kicking him to the curb, we're really wanting to try to bring him back and to restore him 
process of repentance and restoration. And, and the first step of that is to help him in his recovery and to make sure that his family and his children are provided for and cared for. And so we've been meeting with him for about six months, me and three other pastors on our district, just to support him and be with him. And this last Monday, I met with that team and with this pastor. And one of the guys that's on this team is a guy named Lamar Davis. And Lamar's the pastor of Grace Church in Los Angeles, Grace Church the Nazarene, all-black church. And every time I'm with Lamar, he's been the pastor there for about 30 years, and every time I get to be around Lamar, I just have this sense that God is there in a beautiful and powerful way. And Lamar is one of those guys that doesn't say much. And I'm sort of the chairman of this little recovery team, so I'm always trying to get Lamar to say more, but he won't. But I realize that it's, I think it's because of this. When he talks, it is always like the exact thing that needed to be said. And this last Monday, I'd just kind of been, you know, yapping, and the other guy had been yapping, and then it was like, I'm just waiting. Lamar, would you say something? And he said, he just leaned back, and he said the most appropriate words to the pastor that we're working with and to the rest of us on that team. And my heart rejoiced and gave thanks for Lamar. On Tuesday, we went to my daughter's last cross-country meet of her high school career. But while we were there, we had some friends come down from San Luis Obispo, Josh and Kathy Brown. And some of you have met Josh and Kathy. Josh and Kathy Brown, when Kyla's mother passed away, my wife Kyla, when she passed away while we were in college, Josh and Kathy stepped in. They were going to the church where Kyla's mom attended. And Josh went to her, her hospital room and said, said, Karen, you never have to worry about your daughters. I'll, Kathy and I will take care of them, whatever they need. And it's been 28, 27 years since Kyla's mom passed away. 25 years since we've been married and they hosted our wedding reception in their backyard. <laughs> that Josh and Kathy have stood by our family stood by Kyla, stood by our kids coming to watch their games and their races. Josh and Kathy are saints of the Lord who have shown what it looks like to love people well. On Wednesday, I got together with our primetime group. And if you haven't been to a primetime group, maybe you don't qualify. These are our senior adults. But if you're close to qualifying, I strongly urge you to come because in that moment, those moments that we shared together, we got to share life and listen to one another and the good things that God has done in their lives and be encouraged by them in powerful, powerful ways. Last night, I got to hear uh, um, this lady share a challenge, challenge to, the, to the graduates as St. Trish gave us a great challenge. And I, and I went up to her afterwards and I said, man, I... I've gotten to be your pastor for a lot of years, and that's an incredible privilege. But those words you said tonight, I just, I found myself agreeing with them 100%. And I was like, maybe I taught you some of that, but probably I didn't. <laughs> probably I didn't. I think she was probably just teaching me and reminding me. And I was pastored by her in those moments. And what a, what a wonderful and beautiful time it was. Um, Friday, uh, it was a busy week. Friday. I went with my daughter Katie. We went down to Point Loma. It was a preview day. 
And so she was busy in the campus. And Thursday, Friday night, or Thursday night, she stayed in the dorms uh, with some students. So I drove out to Temecula and had spent the night with my parents. It was really kind of fun, awkward. They tried to give me some things, of course. And um, just, just mom and dad and son. And it was great. And uh, we got up in the morning, and my dad and I were just spending some time together. And, and, and uh, he just began to share about stuff that's going on in his life. And he began to talk about just the years of ministry and years of just being alive. And how people come back to him these days at different times, and they'll mention meaningful times that he ministered to them in their lives, and he'll just kind of look at them like, I have no idea who you are, but <laughs> I'm glad that that was the case. But when he just he closed with this, he just kind of looked at me, and, and he said this a hundred times to me before we, he just looked at me and kind of in his quiet way, if you know my dad, he said, it's all about relationships, James. It's all about relationships. And that afternoon, I was at Point Loma, and there was a funeral at the church on campus. And the person who had passed away was a man named Val Christensen. He was a former academic dean at Point Loma. Just a wonderful, amazing man. And I saw his son, who's someone I know, a friend of mine, who was on the campus kind of setting up for the funeral. And... Uh, I was talking to him for a moment, and he said, well, your, your dad and mom were over to visit my dad just the day before he died. And I said, yeah, I, I heard that, that they were staying close. He said, yeah, it was, it was the strangest thing. Your dad walked in, and my dad just said, well, there's my best friend. Because I didn't know they were best friends. I said, I didn't either. But I uh, guess they were close. He said, then your dad just, you know, ever the pastor, he just gathered us all around, and he prayed for us, and, and it was really meaningful. And I said, well, Michael, uh, it's funny that you're telling me this story, because my dad just told me this morning, he said, it's all about relationships. And Michael, who is quite a person as well, paused and I paused a moment of silence, and he kind of looked up at me, and he said, he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. This love of God that has grabbed hold of us, permeated our very being, that has called forth from us a love, an offering of our worship and our praise, and our whole selves, and that finds expression now in these relationships that are all around us, people longing, needing, desperately to be loved with the love of God that has so powerfully and fully filled our hearts. There's a I read from someone this week, she said, the love of God and the love of neighbor take their deepest expression in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. It's in, it's in his obedience and willingness to go to the cross and to faithfully respond to the invitation of the Father 
not my will, but your will be done. Where Jesus himself says, heart, mind, soul, strength, all that I have is yours, God. And it's in his willingness to stay on the cross with arms held out wide that he looks to each of us and says, I love you too. I love you desperately. I love you as I've been loved. And I'll love you to the very end. Jesus becomes not only our savior in this act, but our example as well as we respond to God, empowered and graced by his Holy Spirit with love for him and love for those around us. So as we come to the table today, it's our invitation to, to, to eat and to drink and to receive the grace of God in new ways that would empower and, and embolden this love within us. Some of you are saying, I can't love like that. I can't love God like that. I for sure can't love other people like that. It's not your own love. It's the love of God that is filling you and fueling you to respond in this way. And it's as we come to this table in one ways that we believe is a means of grace by which we receive in powerful ways the grace of God anew and afresh. Some of you maybe would have to say, you know, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I really want to be. And some of you would say, I haven't really been following Jesus like I know I want to, that he wants me to. And this can be and needs to be a moment where you receive of the grace of God in a new and fresh way and respond to him with a word of commitment and devotion. God, I'm going to love you as you've loved me. I'm going to love others as you've equipped and called me to love. So it was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he passed it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take of it and eat, and as you do, remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he blessed it, and he passed it to his disciples, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Take of it and drink, and each time you do, remember me. And we're invited, friends, to come and to receive to eat and to drink the broken and poured out body of Jesus, his blood shed for us, and to be in turn broken and poured out for the world around us.